Welcome to We Sing the Bass Electric, a podcast for bass lovers and music enthusiasts of all genres. Join us as we revisit some of the most iconic recordings from different bassists, past and present, discussing behind-the-scene insight and stories that made up some of the most revered albums of our time, all from a bass player's point of view. Now here's your host, international recording artist, Mr. Christian Day Masonis, a.k.a. Big New York. Bob Daisley is a rock and roll bass icon, forever immortalized as the ideal quintessential working man's bassist with a career that spans over 50 years. Leaving a legacy in the genre of hard rock, blues, and heavy metal, performing and recording in over a dozen projects, Bob has a story to tell, and that he does, in his 2014 autobiography, For Fact's Sake. Please welcome to We Sing the Bass Electric, the Honorable Mr. Bob Daisley. What I admire about your story is how you knew from the beginning of your journey exactly what you wanted out of life and out of music, and also how you became a bass player on the spot. Can you share some of your earliest influences uh, with me and what was going on in your life uh, back in, in those early high school days? Yeah, well, I, I just started um, learning guitar, uh, just just a sort of um, a, a, an acoustic Spanish guitar. I had lessons one, once a week with a teacher in a class of about, I don't know, 20, 25 pupils. And um, this was in 1963. And then one week he had a, a live band on playing for us. There was a little stage in the hall where we did the lessons and he put a, 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 a live band on. They just did a few instrumentals. It was probably, I can't remember exactly what the songs were, but it was probably um, like surf and music of the day, you know, maybe Shadows or Ventures or Chantes or, or one of them, you know. And and as soon as I saw the electric bass, I'd been I'd been playing in in the classes for about a year or fifteen months, I think it was. And as soon as I saw the electric bass, I thought, "That's what I want to do. That's it." I, I just love the the warmth of it, the strength of it, the 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 sensitivity of it as well. You know. So I went home and I told my mum. I said, "Mum, I want to give up guitar lessons and I want to pursue bass." And she said, well, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. So she was very supportive, very understanding. And uh, she said, okay, we'll go into the city and uh, we'll get you a, a, a base. So we went into the city and tried a few uh, different um, shops that had some used instruments. And I got a, a used uh, Futurama base and a, and a little 15 watt amp to practice on. And then I was on my way. And as far as influence was in those days... Um, first of all, it would have been, you know, just the surfing music. The, um, you know, the Chantes had a song out called Pipeline, which I thought was one of the best surfing songs ever done. But then there were the Shadows and the Ventures and, and the instrumental bands that were popular at that time. But then, then along came um, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and, and all the British um, stuff. And I just love the Beatles, but, but I was also a huge Stones fan. So Bill Wyman, definitely. I love the rhythm section, the feel and the groove and the, the swing of, of Charlie Watts and Bill Wyman in the early Rolling Stones. And I saw them a couple of times in, in the, with the original lineup. And it really did have a 
huge effect on me. But when I saw the Beatles live, and it was, and I was fairly close up to them, that was life changing. It really was. But from there, I went on to listen very closely to uh, Paul McCartney, and then a bit later with Cream with Jack Bruce. Also, the Jeff Beck group, the early Jeff Beck group, which was about 67, 1968, somewhere around there, uh, had Ronnie Wood playing bass, and I loved his bass playing. I thought he was he was really, really good. Um, so th- they were the main influences, I'd say, Paul McCartney, Jack, Jack Bruce, and, and, and Ronnie Wood. You were coming up around the time where you were surrounded by Rock's most iconic players, uh, John Paul Jones, Boz Burrell, Phil Lynott. I mean, he was great for Bad Company. Yeah, it yeah. was, it was um, perfect for Bad Company because I almost joined Bad Company at that time, but they ended. I went away to do a tour. When I came back, it was like a two- or three-week tour that I was committed to. And when I came back, they, they had Boz. So I, as soon as I heard the band with Boz, I thought, no, they got the right guy. He was, he was perfect for that band. I'd, I'd say that, that, that it all worked out as it was meant to work out, you know, that that, that band was completed with Boz. And uh, even even though I was disappointed in not getting the gear, I, I knew that, that he was right for the band. What was the camaraderie like back then, man, with all of these great musicians that you were kind of surrounded by i mean you knew you knew some of these guys personally i mean i you know i did read the story that you still have boz's bass amp correct yeah my manager has it now i gave it to him but but that that amp i I bought from boz in 19 i think 73 74 i was with mungo jerry and and boz had done the first bad company album with it and it was an acoustic 370 with the graphic equalizers on it, but it sounded great. And I did, I used that amp a lot with, with Mungo Jerry, then with Chicken Shack, with Stan Webb, and then with Widowmaker. And, and I had it for many years and I'd use it on, on lots of stuff, even with Ozzy and that, you know, so that, that amp had a, a huge history and, um, they were great amps, those those uh, 360s and the 370s. I had the 370. But when I was first in London, um, I played through John Paul Jones's gear. Now, I played his jazz bass, and, and he had an old um, original slab body precision bass as well that I played because I went to one of their um, rehearsals in in London, at the uh, in Chalk Farm, it was, and I had a play of, of um, John Paul Jones's basses through his 360 acoustic amp. So I, I love that stuff. It was, it was really only the only um, transistorized amp, you know, the solid state amps that I really liked. You know, the the rest sounded a bit too clean or a bit. I don't know. They lacked character, but the, the acoustics were great. When I was I was first staying in London um, at a friend of mine's uh, flat, and he worked for Led Zeppelin. Clive Coulson, and I was only there a couple of days, and his doorbell rang, and it was uh, John Paul Jones, and he came, and he said, come out and have a look at my new car. He just bought a Bentley, a used Bentley, um, a few years old it was, but it was, um, I remember his words exactly. He said, we're in the black now. He said it like that, we're in the black now, meaning Led Zeppelin had gone out of debt, and they had, I think they had uh, three albums out at that point. This is before he started getting into the boutique Alembic basses. Um, did you ever play his yeah, H-string? Yeah, yeah, this is, yeah. I never ever liked them. I mean, it was obviously up to him what he played and what sound he wanted there, but I loved the early days that, that he got, I think it's a 61 slab uh, board uh, jazz bass that he had. A lovely sound on those early Zeppelin records. Beautiful. And that's through the acoustics 360 amp. Yeah, I do love the tone on those early uh, 
Zep albums. Personally speaking, how do you keep your chops up? Do you have a practice schedule? And if so, what do you focus on when you uh, when you're by yourself and at home and you know picking up your bass? Well, I, I you know you have to practice from time to time, even if it's not every day. Or well, I mean, when I was learning, I made sure I practiced every day for a certain amount of time, whether it's half an hour or an hour or, or whatever it was. But nowadays, you know, if you're not doing anything, you you um, you still have to play and keep the cobwebs away and the rust out of things you know so yeah. what i usually do is is just put on on a, on a favorite um cd album and play along to it and one that i'm sort of familiar with that just keeps the um the fingers limbered up you know it could be you know a couple of old blues albums there's a freddie king album called getting ready which is a great album or a bb king or an albert king or or sometimes i like joe walsh's stuff too sometimes i'll put a joe walsh album on and and just play along to it if i'm familiar with the songs you know and, and that that uh keeps you limbered up oh yeah absolutely and i i really do really admire some of the latest work you've done I mean, the, the Hoochie Coochie Men with John Lord, what an album. What an album. And uh, Yeah, it's got a lot of good people on it. Yeah, yes. I enjoyed that one, but I love anything blues, you see. Yeah. You played with some of the best drummers on the planet, and I'm sure it's hard to pick a favorite, but, <laughs> but if you had to pick a favorite, who would it be? I mean, look, you got Cozy, Simon, Ansley, Eric Singer, Lee Kerslack, of course, which you have a great, great history with Lee, uh, Bill yeah. Ward, and Carmine yeah. of Peace, uh, and yeah. of course, Tony Williams. And I don't, I don't even think I got them all, but I think I got most of them. Um, I know it's a hard question, but which is the one that comes to mind first? If you were like, "Hey, look, we're sending you to Mars," and you're, you know, you, <laughs> you can be, take one you, drummer. Yeah, you have to take one drummer well, with I, you. I suppose it's it's also how you get on with them as well. I, mean, I got on great with all of them. You know, I remember when I worked with Tony Williams, he said he wanted to do a rock album along the lines of sort of Smashing Pumpkins kind of thing, and he asked me to play on it. But the following year, he died. You know, because he had health problems. It was smoking and his doctor told him to stop and he didn't and it stopped him so but he was a great player tony williams um and you know eric singer was always a, a a close mate a good friend great player and i get on very well but i get on great with with carmine with ainsley lee kerslake was a real like sort of brother relationship with me for many years you know so to say one i don't know it's very difficult it's a little bit like when somebody says You've played with all these great guitar players. Who's the best out of them all? Well, there is no best. You know, I know. It's, it's hard. Whoever's best for the, for, the, for the time and for the situation and the band and the music, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was really, I knew it was a hard question, but I had to pick your brain on it because, <laughs> because you know, if it was up to me, my favorite rhythm section of yours probably would I mean I'm sorry, man. It's it, it has to be Cozy Powell for me. I mean, it, what a shame because Lee, I love Lee so much, you know. Um, yeah, and of course, you know, but Cozy, man. Oh my God, that period. Oh, I loved Cozy's. That was playing. a great lineup with Rainbow, you know, with, with Richie Blackmore and and Cozy and Ronnie and myself and David Stone. I enjoyed that a lot immensely. You know, we were talking about doing a a, a reunion. 
um, just around the time, just before Cozy was killed, you know, because Cozy and I had been talking again, and we were talking, and he'd spoken to Ronnie, and Ronnie had spoken to Richie, and we all had green lights, and we were talking about reforming Rainbow to do an album and, and possibly touring with it. But then when Cozy was killed in his car, um, all that went out of the window, you know, so that was the end of that. But, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I enjoy them all. It would be very difficult, and I wouldn't like to insult anybody by saying, no, I'd have him over him, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I know, yeah. Uh, the period of, I guess, with you being on top of the world was really that, that uh, Blizz of Oz, uh, Randy Rose um, period of your life, and I remember right. how how what a big album, what a big moment in that period of my life, man. That was like you know the eighties, man. That was a great seventy nine, eighty, eighty one, eighty two. Yeah, we, yeah, we formed yeah. that in seventy nine, and we finally found Lee Kerslake right before recording, and that was beginning of nineteen eighty. And then the album came out. It came out in the UK in nineteen eighty, September nineteen eighty, and. And if you if you think about the <clears throat> musical climate at the time, it was punk and disco and the new wave thing and 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 bands like you know Sabbath, Uriah Heep were almost considered sort of like a bit dinosaurish, but by then, so we just went into the studio and, and did what we wanted to do and what we did best and what we enjoyed doing, and the enjoyment I think comes out in the music. So. We, we, you know, we didn't try to um, grasp the the what was in vogue and try and recreate that or do something that was going to be a hit or get airplay on the radio or, or you know, what what was um, in fashion at the time. We just did what we did and, and that was it, like it or lump it, you know. So, but fortunately, people liked it. So, well, you know, uh, one of my favorite records of all time is Rainbow's long live rock and roll and i was oh, really? on Wik yeah and i was on wikipedia today because i wanted yeah i know i you know i read the book i read your book uh for fact's sake yeah. it's an excellent book and but right one thing i, I didn't remember um in the book or maybe yeah. i missed it was the background of your playing on that album because you're only credited for playing kill the king and uh, the epic epic uh, Gates of Babylon. Oh, Gates so, of Babylon, yeah. Yeah. So, and I loved your bass work on that, th that song by itself. And I was wondering to myself, so I'm, I'm looking at the credits and I see Richie getting credit for like the shed and, and Lady of the Lake and all that. And I'm like, yes. Why didn't you get included in those songs? Because they'd already been done when I came in. Uh, they had, um, they did have a bass player called Mark Clark, uh, who was starting to record stuff, but then Richie went off him, and then he was gone, and then Richie put down, um, recorded some bass tracks himself, because they didn't have anybody. So when I came in, instead of getting me to redo what Richie had done, they just got me to do the tracks that hadn't been done, which was Kill the King and Gates of Babylon. They were sensitive to light as well. But I think um, Richie ended up uh, playing on that one as well. But but um, Richie was a sort of adequate bass player. I mean, he, he but he he wasn't really a bass player as such. You know, he didn't play like a bass player sort of thing. You know, he he played the notes and he and he played the parts. You know, in time and in tune and correctly and all that. But I just thought it lacked character as a bass player sort of thing. You know, absolutely, absolutely. And and being a fan of yours, I. I I always question to myself, like, 
like the next album, which was Rainbow Rising. And, and that album is such a um, top 10 favorite heavy metal hard rock album of of all of us. And I was like, man, I wish Bob was on that. But hey, well, you know, that. <laughs> um, so, so it's interesting. We're talking about guitarists right now. You know, they're they're kind of a different animal to tame. I mean, they're, they're alpha males and, and, you know, like Richie and uh, Angve, man. And, you know, but yet your relationship with Randy Rhodes and how you speak of him was really heartfelt and poignant. And um, I mean, you still own this Holy Grail, which is this uh, eight hours of unreleased tapes, right? Of the Blizzard of yeah. Oz sessions, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, my question to you about this, and I'm sure you've heard this many times, I'm gonna ask it anyway. Are there any yeah. plans to release them uh, or even for you to be part of maybe a motion picture deal of of randy's life a buy-up because you would be a great person and you know randy's family of course but you would be a great person person to to tell this tell the tale you know well i i recorded all our rehearsals and writing sessions uh not for any other not for posterity and not for any other reason other than you know, so we could remember what we did the next day. You know, if you're writing something and you come up with new parts and then you change things and then you try something else and by the next day you may, you might get, you know, the famous last words of, oh, yeah, we'll remember that tomorrow. But, you know, I never, ever wanted to take any chances. So I recorded what we did. So so it was on if anybody had forgotten the parts or, or whatever, um, I had them, you know. So that was the main reason that I recorded everything. And I still have those, and and they're very interesting to listen to. Some of the songs changed by the time we recorded them, so people would hear changes in, in the original versions. You know, if I'd had my way, those tapes would have been released years ago. But there's there's so much sort of um, I don't know um, legal complications in releasing other people's performances and with their name and likeness and and all the rest of it. But yeah. you know, I've, I've offered them up in the past as for like bonus material for, to be released with, you know, remastered or or stuff with bonus material on it already. Um, but I've never been taken up on it. So uh, they're sitting here. I've had them all transferred to discs, so, so the tapes, in just in case they. Um, deteriorated in in quality uh, you know because as tapes can over years but so i've got them all on disc but um i'd love to be able to get those released you know it's 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 not a money thing and it's it's just a a legal thing that you know i can't do it by myself so that's why no one's heard them. Has anybody approached you on a, a buy-up of Randy? I mean, you've got all these documentary players out there, these cinematographers that would probably jump at, at the moment of, of uh, telling his story. Yes, yeah, so several years ago, there was a there was going to be a, um, a movie made about Randy, and, and, you know, I offered up that stuff. But that story's in my book. You may remember it. Um, I do remember it. Well, I'm going to um, name some of my favorite Bob Daisley recordings. And okay. can you can you put them in order from favorites to least favorites? Okay. okay. Uh, let's, let's see what you think. Um, so I've got 
Rainbow Live in Munich. I, I wanted to choose, of course, Long Live Rock and Roll, but you didn't play bass on the whole album, so I don't think it would have been fair. So uh, right. Rainbow, Rainbow Live in Munich, and then, of course, uh -huh. Ozzy. Um, I chose Ozzy, Diary of a Madman. Um, then uh, Uriah Heep. Um, how do you pronounce that? Uh, Abomnagog. Yeah. Abominog. Abominog. Um, yeah. And then Ozzy's Bark at the Moon, which was a, a, a great album with Jakey e. Lee. Yeah. Um, Angve Malmsteen's Odyssey. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gary Moore, Still Got the Blues. And uh, the last one would have to be The Hoochie Coochie Men with John Lord, the live uh a cd dvd set so oh, from right. yeah how would you how would you put these in order <laughs> well the the, the the different periods and, and certainly different um artists with with very different sort of um musical genres um i mean how would you compare uh Yngwie's album was a little bit sort of um radio friendly commercial rock which is not a bad thing, you know, it's still a good thing, but I'd probably, as, as a first, I'd, I'd probably put, um, I don't know, Diary of a Madman first maybe because that we put our hearts and souls into that album and it was, um, you can hear it in it, you know, I put a lot of work into that and uh, um, for the second one, I'd probably put uh, Abominog. Uriah He, because there's a story attached to that. When, when we brought that album out, um, it was released in America through through what was in um, England and Europe was um, Bronze Records, which was Jerry Bron, who'd been the record company with with um, Uriah Heap uh, previously. And when that album was um, released in America, David Geffen, who was a you know that was a huge name, huge record company, Geffen Records. They just had a great big hit with. Um, John Lennon's uh, Double Fantasy. And, but they had a lot of big artists and a lot of big, very successful albums. And David Geffen got in touch with Jerry Bron and he said, I'd like to release this Uriah Heep album, Abominog. He said, um, would you give it to me for America? Because he loved the album, David Geffen. Mm. And Jerry Bron said, well, yeah, you can have Uriah Heep if you take Girls School and Motorhead. And David Geffen said, no, I don't want them. He said, I just want Uriah Heap. So Jerry Bron said, no deal. And so we lost out on that. So I, I think that album could have been huge, certainly way bigger than, than gotten a lot more recognition than it, than it did get. And that was, I didn't find that out until years later, you know. So I asked Mickey Box about it. I said, is that story true? Just quite recently, a year or two ago. And he said, yeah, it's true. That's what happened. And that was very disappointing. So, um, yeah, so what have we got? Ozzy, Diary of a Madman, Uriah Heap, Abominog. Um, Where does the Hoochie Coochie Men uh, fall into place on this list? I'll probably come on up next because I love anything blues or blues orientated in or blues influenced, you know, because that's, that's always been one of my favorite genres. As I remember as a, as a kid when I was sort of 14, 15, and I was listening to Rolling the Stones records, the original lineup with Brian Jones, when they were still quite strictly blues and rhythm and blues, you know, and that uh, I, I just love that stuff. And, and it was like a, you know, a, a white band uh, promoting black roots music you know um, they were sort of crusaders because young white kids whether it was here or in america or wherever it was um 
weren't familiar with Howl and Wolf and Sonny Boy Williamson and Willie Dixon and, you know, all, all the, the blues greats. And the Stones were sort of introducing them to, to young white kids. And it was, that's why I think that's a big reason they took off like they did because people haven't, hadn't really um, heard or weren't that familiar with that um, blues and they played it quite authentically, you know. So, and that was a big influence of, of Brian Jones who, who got pushed out of his own band, but <laughs> that's another yeah. story. Yeah. So after that, um, I, I don't know. Um, the Gary Moore album still got the blues for you. I only played on about three or four tracks on that, but fortunately one of them was with George Harrison. So to me, yeah. that was a big deal to play with a Beatle, <laughs> you know. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, with Brian Downey on drums, the drummer of Thin Lizzy, and obviously Gary Moore and me and um, George Harrison. And, uh, you know, that, that meant a lot to me to, to be on a track with a Beatle. So that, that, was, that was wonderful stuff, you know. I'd, I'd probably put Bark at the Moon next because I thought that was a very good album. Nobody knew what it was going to do at the time because the original band had ceased. You know, Randy had died and Lee had gone and Ozzy and I were the only two original members of the Blizzard of Oz, you know, so... But Jakey Lee did an admirable job, I thought, of, of filling in the, um, stepping into the guitar player's shoes. I have nothing but praise for Jake as a player. Brilliant stuff, you know. Jake and I used to sit on chairs opposite each other and work out parts and put the songs together. And then, um, you know, Ozzy would sing vocal melodies. His melodies were always good. I liked his melodies and I used to write lyrics to his melodies. So... You know, that was, um, they were fun times, but it was, you know, no, for all we knew at the time that, you know, we didn't know if that album was going to take off or get, you know, acknowledged or recognition or, or have any success at all. But it did obviously do well, but. Um, great, great stuff, man. I, w I wanted to tell you that um, I remember, I have a memory uh, back in 80, I think it was 84, 85. Yeah. Um, I used to drive a taxi in New York City, and I had a, uh -huh. a big a big boombox on the front seat with oh, me. Yeah. I, used, I used to make my own mixtapes, and I remember, I think I picked up a famous guy. His name is Dan Rather, CBS News here in America. Oh, and, I remember. And, and I, yeah, and I was blasting "Waiting for Darkness," man, <laughs> and, and and he was. He actually enjoyed it. I was like, he was like, what are you listening to? I said, oh, man, this is uh, Ozzy Osbourne or something like that. And uh, and he was like, you know, this sounds pretty good. I said, yeah, doesn't it, man? Check out the guitar. That guitar, that hook, man, on the on Waiting for Darkness was so uh, catchy, man, you know? So oh, I, have yeah. a yeah. <laughs> I have a memory of that. That's funny. One thing that can be said about you, Bob, is uh, – you are a deeply spiritual person. You know, your experiences with Hinduism and how chanting has, has helped you maintain this calm and focus throughout the crazy craziness of the music business, right? And um, yeah. I actually wanted to quote you on two things out of the book that I remember that stuck with me. One was, it's easy for any of us to become lost in our importance. You know, yes. that... That really, that hit me like a ton of bricks because um, as an artist, you're always me, 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 right? You're always thinking, I got these goals. I got this. I got, you know, I've got to get this done. Um, yeah. I want to know how people react to this. And, 
and how is my new album doing? How's my new single doing? All of that stuff. So, yeah. you know, that stayed with that really stayed with me. And another thing that you said, which I thought was very cool, was you said, I don't think anyone can afford to sit back and wait for things to happen. We are still accountable for our, our actions, words, and thoughts. And that yes. really, that blew my mind, man. I mean, I wish my dad would have told me that back when I was 18 years old or something. But, you know, those are very prolific words. And um, so I have a question for you. Um, yeah. What, what advice would you give to young musicians out there just getting into this business, just starting with their dreams and playing in bands and and going through the whole thing that we all we've gone through what do you have any uh any personal advice you can give them well whatever genre that takes your fancy let, go into it find out who's behind it who, who's who's influenced it who what their influences were and, and and it's okay to try to sound like someone else you know base yourself on whoever is your hero, you know, try to sound like them because eventually you come through, you know, you, you might try to sound like whoever it is, whether it's um, Paul McCartney or, or, or James Jameson or whatever great Willie Weeks, you know, some great bass players around as far as bass, I'm just talking in, in general bass terms, but um, whatever instrument you play, you know, base yourself on someone else get your influences and, and you start shining through anyway, but be, you have to be in this business. You've got to be reliable. You've got to have a reputation of being reliable as well. Um, and, and you have to stay professional, you know, whether you have actually gone professional as a player or not, you've got to have that professional attitude of music comes first and, and reliability along with it. And you've got to have something to back it up with, and that's practice. And, you know, it's great to sit and play along with records. I mean, I used to wear my sister's records out, you know, by by sitting there and playing along with them, trying to learn parts and, and that, you know. So, um, but, yeah, the, the one thing that we all have to remember is that we're playing music for other people. That's not... We're obviously, it's our self-expression, and it's great to be able to express yourself with music, and and it's got to come from the heart. And with with you know music coming from the heart, with that emotion, people usually relate to that better than somebody just trying to impress by being a virtuoso. Or look how many notes I can play, or look how fast I can be, or look how slick I am as a drummer or whatever. But if it doesn't come from the heart, it doesn't mean. Sh and if you don't make people emote. You know, emotion is the main object of the exercise. Music is for making people emote, whether it's sadness, happiness, you know, love, passion, whatever. But it's got to make people emote. And um, I, th I, th I think they're, they're important ingredients as, as far as, um, you know, being a musician goes. That is some really, really profound and great advice, Bob. I definitely want to thank you for spending your your time. I mean, I always wanted to know what it would be like to talk to somebody in the future, man. So I was going to ask you, hey, uh, how's it, you know, how is it over there a day ahead of me? But, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what, any, any news on Afghanistan, man? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, you know. So you're all right for Wednesday, but um, I think we'll have to see for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so look, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. I'm gonna um, I definitely thank you for spending your time with me. There's just a couple little things I'm gonna ask you just to talk about. Sure, sure. Um, I also want to just talk to you very quickly about your bass collection, and uh, oh. one of my you know one of my favorite things about your okay. bass collection is the 1956 Gibson violin EB1, which I've been looking for on eBay, and I found two. But I did, you know, and they're varied in price. One is four thousand. The other one is, I think, twelve thousand or something. They're pretty expensive. Right. The one I had was Little Richard's bass player, Olsey um, Robinson, and yes. he played the, the early Little Richard hits with that bass. But unfortunately, <laughs> I was persuaded to put it into an auction and sell it, and I, I did that last year and. Um, oh, yeah, wow. I know, I know, yeah, yeah, and that oh. that was Olsey Robinson's um bass that he played on the early Little Richard hits with, and uh, that one's gone. <laughs> oh, Bob, I hope you got a lot of money for it, man. I Not hope you got no, that, that's that's how I was sort of um persuaded. Oh, put it in the auction, we're having a Little Richard auction, and that's going to go really well, and you'll get this, or you get at least that, and it didn't go that well. What a shame that out of yeah. all your bases, you've got some great, great bases. And, and I, I, I actually I still have a wonderful collection. You know, I've got some great yeah. stuff, you know, vintage stuff. You know, I've got I've got Ronnie Lane's base that I used with the faces with Rod Stewart in the early days. And that's a one off. There's only one of those. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. You got a, a famous star base. And, and I don't know if you're. Oh, yeah. Uh, like Bill Wyman's. Yeah. 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 And now, if if you're familiar, I don't know if you you get the um, the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon um, in Australia. You know, the, yeah, the bass player. Don't know his yeah. name, but the bass player, like this guy, has a, a ten thousand dollar bass, a Federer bass that he plays. But if you watch the 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 show night to night, he he always goes to yeah. this. Framus that he plays. It looks like a short scale Framus. Um, oh, wow. It looks like, yeah, it looks like it's round wound strings that he play. I mean, not round wound, flat wounds that he plays. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But, um, okay. yeah, yeah, and very cool bass. I've been looking for that bass for a long time, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, it took me years and years and years of searching before I came up with that. It's called the humbug finish because it's striped. It's like the one that Bill Wyman. It's actually purported to have been one of Bill Wyman's, but I didn't get any paperwork with it. So whether it was or not, but I just bought it for what it was and not whose it was. Another base of yours that stood out for me yeah. is um, the Guild B301 fretless. Yeah, I used that on, um, well, I've used it on a couple of things actually, but I don't have that. That one's in the Hard Rock Cafe in somewhere like so i think it's somewhere in america there's a picture yeah. of my book with don airy sitting yeah. Up on the wall. Yeah, yeah 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 that was a nice little base that yeah i had a wonderful time chatting with you i really appreciate uh you spending your time with me i hope that this interview was uh, as rewarding to you as it was for me and well, it was um, enjoyable nice talking to you mate yeah yeah, it was really, really cool, man. I really appreciate your time. And I'll uh, I'll send you a link to when it's yeah, posted. Yeah, I'll put it up on the site and I'll, I'll get it circulated. All right. That'll be great, Bob. I appreciate it.
Okay, mate. All right. You take care, man. We'll talk soon, okay? Yes, certainly. Yeah, stay in touch. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, mate. All the best. Cheers. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this educational music program, please subscribe to We Sing the Bass Electric on your favorite podcast platform. We would love your feedback. Email us at wesingthebasselectric at gmail.com. For bonus material and a chance to win merchandise, such as autographed CDs and more, subscribe to our YouTube channel and join our mailing list at wesingthebasselectric.com. As always, thank you for your support. And please buy music from these spotlighted artists. It makes a difference. 